Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the snake was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the snake said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, uh, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust 
all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So the Lord said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat plants of the fields. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she had become the mother of all the living. Uh, We're continuing our series thinking about what does it uh, mean to be um, a human being? What does the Bible say about our identity um, as uh, human beings? Um, We're continuing looking at that this morning, Uh, but as we do that, let me pray for us and ask for God's help as we've prayed in the song as well. Uh, Let's just ask for his help. Father, we recognise there's much here, as Ben alluded to earlier in the service, that is contrary to um, what we're uh, encouraged to believe in our culture. But I pray that as we listen to your voice, uh, that you'd help us both to see the goodness of how you've made us, uh, and that you'd humble us in the ways in which um, we have rejected your good design uh, that's causing all sorts of problems in our lives. Help us to turn away from those things, I pray. Please help us, uh, because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we've been exploring um, over the last few weeks uh, what the Bible teaches about what it means to be a human being. Every worldview, uh, every way of thinking about the world, has to answer the question, like, who are we? Uh, And the Bible gives us wonderful foundations uh, that help us to answer that question. Uh, We saw last week, the Bible says men and women are made in God's image. They image God together. It's one humanity, but made male and female in God's likeness. We need each other. Everyone... And everyone is made to know God and to know others. That's fundamental to what it means to be a human being. To have a a relationship with the God who's there and to love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, Interestingly, if you explore other worldviews, no other worldview does that. Whether it's sort of secularism that says life is all about me. Whether it's Buddhism, which essentially says the same thing. It's all about me. Um... Whether it's uh, Islam, which says it's all about me. Uh, Christianity, because God is one and three, fundamentally says, no, it's about God and others. We're made to know God and to know others. But this week, we're going to press into that a little bit further. And see that while uh, being made in God's image together means that we're made with equal dignity and worth as male and female... It doesn't mean that we're interchangeable. 
that, that we are made different. There's a difference about us. We're, we complement uh, each other. And I think we'll see that as we listen to Genesis 2 and 3. We'll see, that, um, see what God means by that. Before we get into it, though, I want to acknowledge that for some, the idea of what the Bible teaches here about human male and female complementing each other, about recognising difference, that that can generate all sorts of emotions. Some of you might be sat there fearful uh, because of how this idea has been taught in churches or how you've seen it worked out in, in homes or in your home, in your marriage, indeed in, in culture. And I would say I'm, I'm not naive about that as we unpack what the Bible says here. Uh, there is much to lament uh, for in how we treat one another, particularly how uh, men and women relate to one another. But I want to say that, while I'm not naive about that, the Bible, I think if we get to grips with it this morning, has much to say that is wonderful news. That's good news for us. I also want to start by reassuring you that um, as I talk about differences between men and women, uh, I'm not going to, I hope, do any gender stereotyping. Uh, that is really, really unhelpful. Uh, I'm not going to be calling men to, I don't know, DIY and meat-eating and camping, despite our illustration earlier. Uh, nor am I going to call the women to be, you know, pretty little princesses who need rescuing. Uh, that is not what Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 are about. In fact, the more I've thought about uh, this over the, the last few months, uh, reading tons and li- looking at what God says here, uh, the more I'm persuaded that the Bible has very little, actually, to say about what it means to be masculine or feminine. Rather, it overwhelmingly calls men and women to Christ-likeness, which is to be expressed in through our gender. But what that looks like, well, that's, that's up for grabs. Really, whatever strengths or vulnerabilities we have because the gender God has made us in, we're called to honour God with those things and serve others. And that, that will look different depending on the gender you are. Uh, but I don't think it means you know, eating raw meat if you're a man, necessarily, as much as that's a nice thing for me to do. But you know, it's not everyone's bag, I get that. That said, uh, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. And the first thing I want us to see is that human beings are made for one another. They're made for each other. Uh, Genesis 2 is is a wonderful chapter in the way that it works alongside Genesis 1. Genesis 1, we're introduced to God in the beginning, God created. Uh, And all through Genesis chapter 1, the the word, the Hebrew word for God is repeated. Uh, God speaks, God makes, God forms, and and it happens. But in Genesis chapter 2, the writer zooms in uh, to the creation and it no longer talks about God, but if you notice it as it's read, we've been reading it over the last few weeks, we were introduced to God's name, the Lord. Uh, The writer uses a different word. Uh, If Genesis chapter 1 is about God creating, Genesis 2 is like God relating uh, to his creation and his people as he speaks to the creatures that he's made and as he moulds and shapes them and forms them. So Adam, we read, is formed out of the dust. 
and God breathes life into his nostrils and he becomes a living being. And, and he's put in the garden and given a task to do, to work. Naming the animals is one of them. He's given a, a morality. He's told to, he's constrained in what he can do. Uh, he's not to eat of the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil because he'll die. There's, there's boundaries to how he's to live in God's world under God's rule. But did you notice that for while the creation in chapter 1 has been good, 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 here we're told that there's something that's not good. Look down at sentence 18 of chapter 2 with me. It, it jumps out of the, of the text, doesn't it? It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. It's not good that man should be alone, Adam on his own. He, he can't fulfill the commands that God has given him. And so the Lord is going to make Eve for him. But before he does that, he needs to show Adam just how essential Eve is going to be. And so we have this parade of the animals. And Adam, is this, is this the one? Is this the one that's suitable for you, Adam? And I don't think that's because we're to deduce from that that Eve is going to be another animal. That's not the point. The Lord's showing him that when Eve comes, when this bride that he's going to give to him comes, uh, she's going to be just the right just the right one, the one that's not an animal, a creature separate to him, but one that's from him. Uh, nor does the Lord make other human beings out of the dust. Did you notice that? Uh, Adam's not going to be given a fraternal of other people just like him. No, Eve, Adam's made from the dust, uh, but Eve comes from Adam's side. She's not made from the dust in the same way. She's made out of his living flesh, according to Genesis 2 here. Adam is put into this death-like sleep and his side wounded. And out of that death-like sleep and wounded side, God presents to him Eve. Uh, and look down at verse 23. First time we hear man speaking is a song about Eve. He's delighted, overwhelmed with this one that's like him, but different to him, who he can share his humanity with. Uh, a more literal reading of um, suitable for him, if you uh, look down uh, at verse 18, uh, a more... A more Literal reading is, um, for the word suitable, is like opposite to him. Now that's really important because we're being told here that, that Eve, is, she, Eve and Adam together are like jigsaw pieces. Uh, they, they correspond together. They're like opposite. They, they work when they're together. Now as we read through that and you saw the word helper there, uh, I wonder if you struggled with it. As you heard it. Uh, we react, I think, to that word helper naturally. Um, it sort of almost feels demeaning, doesn't it, when you read it? But I think that says more about us than the Bible. Firstly, because I think to, to read it as demeaning is to misread what is going on 
uh, in the, the wider context of the Bible. Interestingly, if you're interested in these things, the word for um, helper comes up 19 times in the Old Testament and 16 times it is used to describe the Lord's relationship to his people. He is the helper of his people. But it's also worth noting how, in, if you remember back when we've looked at Genesis chapter 1, is a real crescendo that sort of happens through Genesis chapter 1 as God makes and forms and fills. And the crescendo comes to a climax, doesn't it, with the creation of um, his image bearers. Yeah, I'd encourage you to go back and read Genesis chapter 1 and notice how it's crescendoing up to the image bearers being made, how it comes to a climax. It's, it's very good, God says, once humanity is put in place. But when you put that alongside Genesis chapter 2, what you notice is, who is at the climax of the crescendo? It's Eve. She's the last to be made in this crescendo of creation. She's, she's the jewel in the crown, if you like. So this helper that Adam make, uh, the Lord makes for Adam, there's no sense, I don't think, if you read it properly, of inferiority to Adam. No, she's the jewel in the crown of creation. But helper she is. See, without her, uh, humanity cannot flourish. Adam can't, can't fulfill the mandate to multiply and fill the earth and, and subdue it. I wonder if the problem we have with the word helper is, says more about us because in our culture, and I've said this a few times I think in this series, we devalue helping roles, don't we? Like, who are the people that we reward? Who are the people that are paid the most? Well, what I don't want to comment on if your job and suggest that you're this kind of person if you're in a high-paid position, but we often reward the self-obsessed, don't we? The, the self-sufficient. The highest paid are often those who know how to, to stand on others to get to the position that they've got to. So we celebrate the self-obsessed Instagram stars. Um, I'm no reader of the Vogue magazine, but I don't think on the cover of Vogue there's ever been a nurse or a stay-at-home mum or a teenager who you know, has to look after their disabled parents. Now we, we devalue helping roles. And often in our culture, certainly it's in the news, isn't it, that the helping roles are the people on strike, underpaid, underfunded, undervalued. But the Lord, well, he's the helper of his people. And Eve, she's given that identity for Adam, that the one who's coming alongside him so that humanity can really flourish. With the commands that he's been given as the head of humanity, he needs Eve. Only together can they live out the image of God. But they do that because of their differences. Not because they're the same. Not because they're interchangeable. He delights in her and sings over her and rejoices to share all that was with that is his with her because she compliments him. Here's God's image bearers together, called to use the power that their biological sex gives them for the good of the other 
and the glory of God in his world. Uh, Now, because of our sin, our differences have been used to harm one another. And we'll get to that um, in a little bit as we look in Genesis chapter 3. But because, despite that, because, our, because of sin, our differences have been used to, to harm one another. We do need to, to see and be reminded that difference has been woven in to the creation story. God has made bodies for his humanity that are male and female. And they're, they're made in his likeness, they're made to reflect who he is. That's why we've sang the songs this morning that we've sung. Because God is one and distinct within himself. He is one and three. We've sung this morning, haven't we, of the Father, Son and Spirit, who are equally God, equally to be worshipped. And yet they they depend on one another in a sense, don't they? The Father is only the Father because he's the Father of the Son. And the Son is only the Son because he's eternally taking life and love from his Father. There's no sense of inferiority there. They're they're one God, but yet distinct. Or think about how the New Testament uses this passage. I'm not going to do a talk on marriage this morning, but Paul says in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 very clearly that this pre-fall picture of humanity is about Christ and the church. It's a profound mystery, he says. But it's about Jesus and his bride. So at some level, Paul's saying, look, God creates two sexes, male and female, so that he might paint a living picture into his creation of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus can't be the head of a new humanity without a people. We can't have life in his world without coming to Jesus and trusting him and delighting in him and being led by him. We need each other, the Bible is saying, male and female. We, we need all voices, gifts, friendship, words of encouragement and rebuke from, from everybody. Um, just preparing this, I thought of the irony that I'm... I happen at the minute to be on a committee of people who helped to plan the Midlands Men's Convention. Uh, and while I think it's a good thing to bring men together to encourage them to, to walk with Jesus once a year, there is a tendency, I think, in church, churches like ours to, to separate the sexes off, which can be really unhelpful. One of the things... Uh, that we're working on as a leadership team is how we can better reflect this reality in the life of our church. Uh, We'll have more to say about this in the coming weeks. But suffice to say, there's much that we could do better as a church to reflect the reality that God has made us male and female together. Not just in marriage, but in, in all of life. What else does this mean? Well, I think it means that moments like the Me Too movement are really important for us to hear, particularly as men. It certainly means, this teaching in Genesis chapter 2, that 
But we must be those that speak out against sexism and misogyny. That as we raise our children, we want to raise them to not use their biological sex to oppress others, but whatever sex they are, to honour those of the opposite gender. It's really important that we do that as parents. Certainly as men, we need to repent of how we've demeaned and overlooked women. There's much sexism in our culture that is overt and obvious, but there is much more, I think, that is subtle to do with the assumptions that we make. There's loads loads that we could talk about and say about this, but here's a task for you men this morning. It will be worth you asking the women here how they experience sexism in everyday life. That will be a really significant conversation for you to have. And I think you'll be surprised by how you've played your role in that. I also have felt the need to have another little sidebar at this point in the talk. To say that I know that as a church as we've led this church in the last 10 years, there's there's been... The way that we've led has led to women feeling undervalued and overlooked. And I'm sorry for that. I'm sorry for the times, if you're a woman here, that you felt the need to self-censor in order to be heard. Or if we've given the impression that it is only male, maleness that qualifies someone to be a voice that is heard and valued. I'm sorry for the ways that we've led from pragmatism rather than conviction. And that's often been, I think, to the detriment of the female voice here. Genesis 2 says, no, we're made equal in dignity and worth and Part of the, the value of who we are as human is that we're different. And that difference needs to be celebrated because it's needed. <laughs> now, an obvious question I suspect some of you have is what are you going to do about that? Um, you can talk to me afterwards. <laughs> there are lots of things that we need to do and we are doing and thinking about. Uh, please come and talk to me about them or any of the, uh, the leaders here, we must repent of the ways that we undermine and diminish our gender difference. We must do that. Genesis 2 is very clear. But we must also understand, I think, that to live with a right view of men and women and who we are together is not just a matter of writing new policies or changing our thinking as though it will all fit into place. Because the battle between the sexes, if I could put it like that, or the the reason for the disunity is not just because we think wrongly. It flows, doesn't it, out of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 says, look, we've lost each other, we're losing each other because of sin. Uh, let's just have Genesis 3 in front of your noses as we go through this next bit. Uh, if you're familiar with the story, you'll know that reading Genesis chapter 3 is a bit like, I think, driving down a motorway and having a, a rock hit your windscreen and just see a chip appear at the bottom of the windscreen and just slowly watch a crack develop 
until the whole thing's ruined. As you read, as Ben read it for us, the, the good order that God created in Genesis 2 for men, women and the creatures is, is reversed. The creature comes to tempt Eve and Adam sits by. And as they turn away from trusting the Lord and his word and turn to trusting these lies and trusting themselves, their, their whole humanity just begins to crack and fracture, doesn't it? For the first time, humanity is vulnerable to one another. They, they we're told that they feel and experience their nakedness. The two that are made to be together can't live together anymore. They, they're naked now. They're, the other is a threat. So they have to hide from each other as they sew fig leaves together. They, they hide from the Lord. And when the Lord comes to confront them, it's not their fault, is it? For Adam, it's your fault, God. If you hadn't put this woman here, the one I've just sung about how wonderful she is, if you hadn't put the wonderful woman you put here with me, you know, get the point. It's not our fault, it's your fault, God. But it is their fault. And they are responsible, and according to God's words that he said in Genesis 2, death enters the creation. And not just the ending of life, the ceasing of life, but... A crookedness enters the creation. An inability to flourish as they were intended to. Thorns and thistles for the work. Pain in childbearing. And there is loads that we could talk about and unpack here about the the brokenness of creation. But I want to just hone in really on the brokenness between Adam and Eve that comes out of here. It's down there in verse 16. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now as quite a lot of ink has been spilt over these verses and what they mean. But broadly notice that the rule Adam was meant to exercise that was a, a delighting in Eve and a flourishing in her in Genesis 2 now seems to be, will be used to dominate her. There's a sense in which his strength will be and his, his domination of her, this ruling, will be, will be oppressive. Now, there's some debate um, out there about what this word desire means. Uh, in verse 16. So he rules over and she desires something. Uh, What's going on there? Well, some, as you read the literature, have argued that the word desire there means, it means control. So it's the idea, and certainly in the Old Testament, this word, Hebrew word for desire, does, can mean controlling. Uh, And so we see a kind of battle of the sexes here. That she will, um, she will seek to control and manipulate him, uh, but he will rule and dominate. Others argue that it just means desire. So she will be trapped by his rule over her. No longer flourishing under his leadership, but oppressed by him. Men will dominate, control, and use women, and women will allow it. 
enable it. So men will use their strength to crush women, and women, because of their weaker position, kind of remain stuck. Uh, If you've read the novel Normal People, um, or watched the TV drama, I wouldn't necessarily recommend the TV drama, but the novel is interesting uh, from what I've picked up of it. You'll see that dynamic particularly worked out in the main characters. This, this sort of control of the man and this inability or this uh, need for the woman to stay and, and need this man. Now, whichever way you take it, and personally, I think you could go take both. <laughs> I don't think they're necessarily one against the other. The big point, however you take it, the big point is that in every culture, at every time, as we see this dynamic worked out between men and women, men abdicating their responsibilities rather than facing up to them, men using their power and strength to take from women, and often leaving women with the impossible choice to live by cooperating with them or manipulating in order to get their way. And you don't have to look far, do you, to see this this awful brokenness. You see it between, in all sorts of ways, I'm sure you've got experience of it uh, in your own lives, whether it's between men and women directly or between in all sorts of different spheres of life. One of the shocking things in my reading over the last few weeks is that, and some of you will be very familiar with these, these stats, that two women every week are killed by their male partner. That's just outrageous, isn't it? Women are at a far higher risk of domestic violence than men, although it is something that happens to men too. And as you read Genesis chapter 3, we've got to say, as a church, that if you are in a relationship where you are trapped and caught in the cycle of not being able to escape, then please would you come and talk to us and and let us help you. Whether you want to talk to me or talk to Hannah, who's not in the room at the minute, who's our safeguarding officer, or or anyone else here, then please do. And can I say that it's really important as a church family that we do what we can to give each other permission to to get behind our closed front doors of our lives. Um, To really be able to see the the seeds of abuse before they're fully grown. And if you're in a marriage where you feel the seeds of some of that oppression, then let me encourage you now to get help. To have friends to talk to about or to talk to us as leaders. Because it's there. It's here in Genesis 3. It would be naive, wouldn't it, to think that it's not behind our front doors. Adam's leadership in Genesis 2 sees the woman as the honoured one in creation. While he's the head, while he's the one that's given the commands, given responsibility to lead, he's to do that by delighting in the bride that the Lord gives him. 
seeing her as God's gift to him, one who perfectly corresponds to him. Interesting, isn't it? But he has to bend in order to receive that. I've not really noticed this until reading it again, but it's, it's he that leaves his family unit in marriage to join her. There's something wonderful about that. She's the honoured one. Made together that mankind might flourish. So what does this mean for us apart from the things that I've just said? Well, can I say that if you're a man here who thinks it's okay to pretend to be closer in a relationship with a woman in order to get something from her, uh, you need to run away from that. And women, if you're looking for a relationship and find men treating you like that, stay away from them. Stay away from them. If you're a woman here who uses flirtation to manipulate, uh, to get your way or take control, if you're a man or a woman this morning and you're exploiting people who are far more vulnerable than you by using pornography, or if you're a man here who expects your wife and home life to revolve around you and your comfort, and you don't give your wife any chance to flourish as a Christian, or if you're using your biological strength to crush women, don't dare to use the idea of male headship that's described here to justify that. All that I've just said is all Genesis 3. It is not Genesis 2. And it's this mess and this brokenness that Christ has come to redeem. And boy, redeem it does he does. His work means that we're welcomed home together. I've already hinted earlier on that this story in Genesis 2 is, is is part of a bigger story. God's bigger story of Christ and the relationship with his church. Uh, And the Bible describes the Lord Jesus when he enters the world as a second Adam. And as I said last week, it would be easy um, for us here who are unmarried to think that being human is all about, you know, getting married. But even that's not really the point of Genesis 2 when you read the whole Bible. Because as good as a gift that marriage is, it's not the key to being human. No, that's found in Jesus. We come to Jesus to find our true humanity. We're all, to, we're all to come to Jesus as our bridegroom for life in all its fullness. Even the creation account of Adam and Eve is a prototype, isn't it, of Jesus and the love he has for his bride. Pay attention to, again to what happens when Adam... Uh, is sorry when Eve is created. Just as Adam went down into a death-like sleep and his side was wounded, so that God might deliver him his bride. Hey, do you get it? <laughs> Jesus didn't go down into death-like sleep. No, he went down into death itself. And out of a wounded side, 
and the death of the Son of God. God has delivered Jesus, a bride. And just as Adam was delighted to share his humanity with one like opposite to him, so Jesus, as we sang in our first song, is delighted to share all that is his with us. That we might be his people and together we might bring glory and honour to the Father. It's Jesus' death and wound that brings us life and flourishing. I don't know what's happened to you to make you think less of yourself. All sorts of things. Why you might be ashamed of yourself this morning. But Jesus is really delighted with you. He sings over you. So glad. So glad to lose himself. That you might belong to him. That's who he is. That's who our bridegroom is. All of us. Can I say, if you're the abuser this morning, it might be right that you need to face consequences for the way that you've treated others. But Jesus is still your bridegroom. The one who's given his life that you might be forgiven. 